0: our musicians for that awesome song. That's from Godspell, which I have a special place in my heart for because I was a part of the Godspell cast when I was in seminary. And so thank you. That was a, a special gift. Before I get started on the sermon today, I do want to take a point of personal privilege and just offer just a couple of thoughts this morning. This is my last Sunday preaching here at Boone UMC, and I stand before you with a really heavy heart about that. It has been a privilege to travel part of our spiritual journeys together with you these past couple of years, and so I am indeed sorry that 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 will Will be ending at this point in time, but I am also at the same time filled with great hope about what is to be for both me and for you as a church family. Some of you I know are still processing your own reactions to this news. I do start a spiritual renewal leave that begins this Tuesday through, through the end of June. And that in July I will be leaving and a new senior pastor will be coming here. This decision, although it came very unexpected, in some ways has opened up some possibilities that I'm not sure I would have ever considered for myself. And so I am truly being open to what God might have in store for me for this next chapter of my life. But I do have one request that I would offer up to this community of faith and honestly to all of us. And it is a, a plea for us to remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus says if something happens and we have um, a conflict, if someone has hurt us or has caused us to, 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 um, be concerned about something, then Jesus says, here's what you do. You go and talk to that person. And if that conversation doesn't bring some fruit, then take a friend and go try again. And then after that second conversation, if um, no headway is made, then you engage the systems and processes that you have available to you. And my plea to us as Christians is to really try and live into that teaching from Jesus. Because I promise that that if, if we can be courageous and have those difficult conversations when we might be at odds with someone, it will help all of our relationships. It will help our relationships in our places of work. It will help our relationships with our family. It will help our personal relationships, and it certainly will help our relationships as being part of the co- a community of faith together. It's not easy, but it is a really important work for how we are to live as Christians. Having said that, though, I want to offer you another scripture that has been incredibly meaningful to me. It's always been one of my favorite scriptures, Roman 8, 28, that says, "'All things work together for good "'for those who love the Lord.'" I have never lived into that scripture any more than I have in the past couple of months. Because y'all, I know that I love the Lord with all of my heart. So I completely trust that this is going to work together for good for me, but also good for you as a church and for you as individuals. I believe that with all of my heart. And I look forward to seeing what God is going to do with me, and what God is going to do with this church, and what God is going to do with you. So thank you for um, letting me just share a few thoughts on my heart this morning. Now I want to invite us to put our attention back on what it is we came to do um, today, which is to worship God, and I invite us to, to hear the scripture reading this morning as a beginning into our sermon series on redeeming our mess. The Apostle Paul has something to say to us about um, our mess, the messiness of our lives, and a solution for that messiness. So hear these words from Romans 3, verses 22 through 28, and I'm reading to you from the message translation. It's a little bit of a different translation, it's a paraphrase, but sometimes it helps us to hear Scripture with fresh ears. So I invite you to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. And he's referring to, by the way, the Israelites, the Jews. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Canceled? Yes, canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. Friends, this is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Every hair in place outfit perfectly fitted and stylish, her makeup masterfully applied, his physique buff and lean, unflappable under stress, smile at the ready, family perfectly behaved, pictures on Facebook show exciting or meaningful activities all of the time. Their life just seems perfect. And you think, Is it real? And I wonder who comes to mind when you think of that perfect famous person. Is it Princess Kate and all of her royal perfection? Or Beyonce and her musical talent, marketing finesse and physical beauty? Or is it Tom Brady who displayed amazing athleticism and the ability to win no matter what his age Or George Clooney, and do I really need to name his perfections? Or maybe you went another tack and thought of Mother Teresa in all of her humility and high moral character. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted just mentally ticking off all the ways that I am not like the people on that list. We began the season of Lent this week and over the next five Sundays we're going to spend some time doing some intense personal internal work as we make our way towards the cross. This is an opportunity for us to look at our humanness and also consider the ministry of Jesus as we reflect on his sacrifice on the cross for us. And I want to invite you to look at our lives along the way and recognize that for all of us, in one way or another, it's a real mess. So our theme for these six weeks is Redeeming Our Mess. And this theme looks at our mess, um, uh, the messiness of our lives and how we can be really honest about that. It came from uh, me hearing... Tom Berlin, the pastor that wrote the book that this is based on a few years ago, I heard him speak. And then when I saw this book called Restored, Finding Redemption in Our Mess, it just captured me. Just the concept of it captured me. And as I announced earlier, you can join us for a book study that Pastor Jeff and Vern are going to lead each Tuesday. Check out our e-news for how you can get connected in for that Zoom study. But my hunch is that this topic, it speaks to every single one of us because we all have messiness in one form or another in our lives. And today I specifically want to talk about the masks of perfection that we wear. Already this morning, I've wanted to make a a few adjustments to the mask that I'm wearing that's covering my face to make sure that it is solidly in place. And no, I'm not talking about the masks that we wear as we head out into public for COVID. But I wonder how is your mask fitting this morning? I'm talking about that mask that you've been wearing since long before COVID entered our lives a year ago. Because aren't we all guilty at some level of spending energy hiding what is really going on inside of us? Some of us have probably, at some level, actually enjoyed being able to hide behind our COVID masks. But there is so much pressure to project to, to those around us that, yeah, we have our act together that life is great, that we are great, our family is great, we are confident. We know what we are doing. We are successful, happy, and healthy, even when we're not. I understand when the world puts this kind of pressure on us, but it breaks my heart when I see the church doing this as well. Instead of being like the one place in our lives where it would be safe enough us. Enough for us to let our guard down, to take off our masks of perfection, and to be honest with one another about how things are really going and who we really are. But unfortunately, my observation is we rarely take that mask of perfection off for anyone. Some of us look at our faith lives. And we, we realize we start doing all the right things on the outside. We look like a model Christian. But on the inside, our motivation is completely off. We've missed the actual mark of true transformation and everything we do is actually for show. Tom Berlin would call this high-functioning idolatry. It's much like a high-functioning alcoholic. It's when Christians look and sound like devoted Jesus followers, except for these messes in our lives that indicate we actually don't have our act together as much as we like for others to think that we do. He says, although we might participate in church and in Bible studies, that when we look internally... We see that we are often far more about serving ourselves than we are about honoring God. Us high-functioning idolaters often live dual lives where we look good on the outside, serving others, worshiping God, but that inner life, he says, is very conflicted along with the habits and the attitudes that we know we must keep secret from others. And the result is a mess. You know what happens when we keep having to live this facade? It usually ends up a cri- in a crisis of some sort because we can't coexist with this external facade that is in tension with our internal secrets. And something will eventually crack and it will bring everything to a head and force us to make a choice. Oftentimes, it leads to a real mess that often begins to spill out for others to start to see. Maybe we've made a bad decision at work that comes back to haunt us, or a lie that we have told to maintain a relationship facade gets revealed, and then our integrity begins to crumble. And because we have often not prepared for this reality, we freak out. We worry about what others will think. Can you relate to this cycle of internal angst that we cause ourselves when we desperately try to live behind that mask of perfection? And are you tired of it? I hope so. Because there is most definitely an answer to this dilemma. Dilemma. Here is the humbling, liberating truth. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? It is so profound that, that I just, are you ready for this wisdom, of nugget, this wisdom nugget that I'm getting ready to drop on you? We are all screw-ups. Mic drop. Okay. Joking aside, you're like, whatever. But it's true. Every single one of us falls short, to quote the Apostle Paul. Every single one of us is living some kind of mess. No one is immune. So then why do we strive so hard to look perfect when none of us are perfect? This passage from Paul's letter to the Romans is a powerful word for us today. For us Protestants, this is the theological heartbeat of what we believe Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And I want us to hear clearly God's word for us this morning. So I'm going to to read this again from um, the message, verses 23 and 24, because it just might be the beginning of our ability to take off this mask of perfection. Paul says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Theologian N.T. Wright helps us unpack those few verses from Paul. You see, Paul is making the argument that it's the law, which is what they had been under before Jesus came. It is the law that condemns the Jews because no one could possibly live up to all of those rules and expectations. No one could perfectly execute all of those laws, not even the Pharisees. So God offers righteousness to us in a different and unexpected way. And that new way, it's through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Verse 22 talks about how Jesus is faithful to what is asked of him. And because of that, you and I receive forgiveness. But because the point has been made that all of us have a record of sinfulness, both Jews and Gentiles, then Paul is arguing that Jesus' faithfulness, it is for all of us, not just the Jews. Y'all, this is a universal grace. This is universal good news. And then I love this point that N.T. Wright makes. He says, whenever Paul uses the word grace, this is what Paul means. That for him, grace is a shorthand that stands for the entire story of God's love that is active in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in order to do for us humans what we cannot do for ourselves. I want to say that again because it's really important that you hear and understand those words. That grace for Paul means a shorthand that stands for the entire story of God's love for us. That we see active in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit at work in order to do for humans what we cannot do for ourselves. His point is that the Israelites were supposed to be this redemption option for the world, the light unto the nations that we hear Isaiah talk about. But they couldn't hold up their end of the covenant. And every time that they started just to show the world a glimpse of God's redeemed people, they would go then and make a golden calf. Or they would worship Baal or some other idol god from a neighboring country. Or they would demand a king instead of letting God rule over them, or they would forget the Ten Commandments, or they would fail to care for the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants in their midst, or they would get greedy and loot their neighboring country, or they would kill the Messiah that was right there in front of them. You get the idea, and don't don't you wipe your non-Jewish hands from this mess because you and I, we would have been right in the middle of all of that sinful messiness. But God loves us so much, so much that this sinful circumstance was just not acceptable. And in spite of our laughable facade of perfection, God chooses to redeem us. Redemption is a term that in Paul's time was a metaphor that would have come to mind um, relating to the slave market. That slaves being bought back and receiving their freedom, is, is, that's what they would have thought of when they heard Paul say the word redeemed. Redeemed. However, in this text, Paul is inviting all of us to receive God's redemption that is offered to um, everyone, not just as redeemed slaves, but to simple believers of the gospel. And thank goodness that it's a universal and open-ended offer because all of us have fallen short and succumbed to sin and brokenness in our lives. And as theologian Paul Oktemeyer points out, let's be clear about this relationship that we have with God. No one is friends with God except through sheer grace. All right, grace, you remember? That shorthand for um, the whole of God's story of love that is in action through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to do for us humans what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so we confess And we own that we are sinners, and without God's grace, we are unable to cope with the crazy world around us and our own upside-down lives. And if we don't understand this basic order of things, this, this nature of our relationship with God, then we will just continue to make messes of our own lives and the lives of those that we love. And hear this important word. Paul says that one is made right with God only through God's grace, or one is not made right at all. One is saved only through God's grace, or one is not saved at all, no matter who they are, or what their background is, or who their parents were, or what wonderful or amazing deeds they have accomplished, or even how flawlessly they wear their own mask of perfection. In other words, it does not matter how ordered our lives are or how perfect we are, how perfect and good we act. It will never be enough because we are imperfect beings. But we are dearly loved by God because deep within us is not this mask of perfection for us to wear, but deep within us is this image of God glimmering, longing to be nurtured and developed. So you see, it's not through our bragging about how awesome we are or how awesome our family is that makes us right with God. It is not how smoothly we gloss over what is really happening in our lives or our relationships that makes us right with God. It is actually our honestly and willingly taking off our mask and admitting our imperfections. It really is our humility and honesty that matters. And here's the catch. Our culture has made it so difficult to admit our sins and our shortcomings, because that is akin to admitting our failures, which is unacceptable in our society. But I push back on that We learn from our failures. We grow from our mistakes. We develop humility from our shortcomings. And we learn that the true power of confession comes when we admit our sins. And with that comes great liberation. I wonder if there are places or people in your life that you really can be your honest self with. And why is that? What is different in that relationship that allows you to trust? And how freeing is it to live honest lives devoid of the energy demanding facade that we fight so hard to keep? And this, all of this, is what I want to invite us to explore during this season of Lent the liberating power of confession and our deep need for God's grace, for the entire story of God's love active in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in order to do for humans what we cannot do for ourselves. And one final word on this mask of perfection. I will never forget this day. It happened a few years ago when we were in Winston-Salem. And i it was my day off, and I had ordered um, carry-out dinner and was walking down Trade Street to go and pick up dinner. And, y'all, you know, I had not done my hair. I didn't have makeup on. I was pretty scrungy. And I will admit, though, that I just had this moment. It was kind of windy, And the hair, the wind had just like blown my hair, like all in my face. And I had this shampoo commercial kind of moment where I just flicked my hair out of my face. You know what I'm talking about. And in that moment, I was right at the bus station. And a man had obviously seen me do this. And he looked at me and he said, Ma'am, I just have to say, you have the most beautiful short hair. And I must have then grinned from ear to ear at this, out of the blue unexpected compliment because then he fired right back at me and said, and look at that smile, beautiful. And I grinned the whole way down the street to the restaurant. And then it hit me. I literally had no mask of any kind of perfection on at that moment just scrubby wearing sweatpants on my day off hoping to see no one that i knew kind of moment and then a stranger looks at me and tells me that i'm beautiful and i simply whispered thank you god because i was grateful for that unexpected reminder That God loves us no matter what our exterior or our interior looks like. So friends, take off that mask of perfection. In this church filled with imperfection, you just don't need it. And God's desire from us is honesty and humility and a spirit of confession. So go ahead, be brave, take it off. And let grace replace that facade. In a minute, Danae is going to come forward and lead us in a response to this word. And every Sunday in Lent, we're going give you this opportunity. to, to We'll extend an invitation and, and, and invite you to take a few minutes to reflect and to respond on the messiness, that whatever angle of messiness that we've been talking about this morning. And, and if you haven't, uh, make sure that you have gotten your art supplies that you picked up from our church this week. Have them handy. And if you did not do that, we still have some you can come and get. Or if you are from beyond Boone, then grab a piece of paper and a marker or a pen and have it with you so you can participate along with us this morning. We want to invite you to think about something in your life that you try so hard to present as being perfect. Maybe it's related to your professional life. Maybe it's related to your relationships or your spiritual life, but something that you catch yourself faking trying to present that you are better at it than you actually are, or something that you haven't been honest about or that you've just tried to hide from others. Think about that particular piece of messiness in your life as I offer a prayer of preparation for our response to the word this morning. Lord, we're tired of trying to be perfect, and we hear your word for us today that tells us to stop trying to fake it. While we may not be perfect, your son is. And it's his amazing love for us and generosity towards us that cleans up the messes in our lives. So today we offer up to you a piece of our messy life and pray for your redemption. Hear our prayer this morning, Lord. Hear our prayer. Amen.